This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this podcast, Kathy Levy speaks with Pontus Lidberg, award-winning dancer, choreographer, and filmmaker from Sweden, on the eve of his company's debut at Canada's National Arts Centre on April 14, 2015. So mm-hmm. I'm so happy you're finally here. We've been yes. talking about this for a couple of years. <laughs> I know. I first found out about your work through your film, Rain, mm-hmm. which I guess came out in 2007. Yes. I first thought you were a filmmaker. Right. But in fact, you're a dancer and a choreographer mm-hmm. from Sweden. So for the sake of all of our friends who are listening, tell us a little bit about how you got into this field, a bit about your background, please. So um, I... Uh Started off as a ballet dancer. I'm, I was trained at the Royal Swedish Ballet School in Stockholm and uh, started my career as a ballet dancer with the Royal Swedish Ballet. Um, however, I, uh, from the very beginning, actually even in school, I felt like there was something not quite there for me in terms of being a dancer. And uh, being a dancer is not necessarily creative. It can be, of course, and... Uh, if you're given the opportunity, you can contribute a lot to a choreographic process and also interpretation and so on. But sometimes, and especially in bigger companies, you're often a, an instrument for somebody else's uh, creativity or even just to to uh, do certain tasks. Were you learning some of the big classical roles at the time? What was the Royal Swedish doing back then? Oh, mixed. I mean, it's a ballet company, but uh, a little bit of... Mainly classics or or neoclassical works and so on. Um, But for me, it was obvious that I didn't have the creative outlet that I actually wanted. So, um, and I found it very easily. And in time, there was an opportunity to create something or choreograph. I would, I would seize the opportunity. Like a student showcase or something like that. Yeah, the there were there were opportunities in school, and then there were opportunities at the company too. They would have like a choreographic workshop where you could you could. kind of sign up or mm-hmm. <laughs> ask to be part. And uh, so it became kind of clear that this this actually was a better fit for me. I got to create, which is what I really wanted to do. Um, I mean, having said that, of, co- of course, I've had wonderful experiences being on stage in other people's work and also working with other people, definitely. But you also dance mm. in your own work. Were yes. you dancing in your own work in those early first pieces? Were yes. they solos and duets and smaller works mm-hmm. that you were making with you as part of them as well? Yes, they were, definitely. Um, it's uh, interesting because I, I kind of do both. I, I go around companies and create for for other companies. In, and in, this, in, in that process, I'm very much like a director who oversees everything from the outside. But when I create for my own group... 
I create from the inside and I feel like it's a little bit, it's more intimate and also I have a different, I have an internal eye. It's like uh, uh, being part of something from the, from, with an inside, uh, with an inside point of view. Of course, that means I often or always actually bring in someone, someone to be my outside eye and I work with film and video to, to have a, to have both perspectives. You're lucky, I guess, from the mm-hmm. beginning that you were in a ballet company that allowed you to do that mm-hmm. because sometimes some yes. of the, maybe we're seeing that more in the uh-huh. 21st century, but sometimes mm-hmm. some of the structures are very rigid in that way and they don't yes. necessarily encourage their dancers to create. Yes, well, it wasn't easy necessarily. There were opportunities and after a while it became it became clear that I wanted more opportunities than were than there than there was room for. So, uh, luckily, one thing led to the other, which is often the case, and and uh, I got opportunities that were outside of the company. And uh, um, now it seems so I- inevitable, but <laughs> after a while, I was working as a choreographer with my own work exclusively. What was the first offer that you got outside? Do you remember? Well, the um, first opportunities that that opened that door were for the touring group of the Royal Swedish Ballet. They have their own little uh, kind of separate group, but consisting of dancers from the Royal Swedish Ballet called Stockholm 59 Degrees North. And it was created uh, to tour, basically, because um, the Royal Swedish Ballet is very big and it's difficult to tour such a big company. So it's like a nimble group of of dancers and eventually they started having their own repertoire as well and and commissioning pieces and so on so i i did three pieces for them early on and that was really the the first opportunity where uh where i got to to create and also where i toured that was when we first saw you work in Canada, actually, I think, through that company, because right. Annick Bissonnette was running the festival right. in Saint-Sauveur, yes. and she invited the company to come to a summer, right. um, to be a part of the summer festival. That's right. That was like the second wave, because the first works I did for them were in um, about almost 10 years earlier. Okay. Yeah. But uh, but yes, that's the first time that uh, uh, my work was shown in Canada, for mm-hmm. sure. And... Um, well, then the first work outside of Stockholm was for the Norwegian National Ballet in Oslo. And uh, that was in 2005, so 10 years ago. And since then, it's kind of just gradually um, become more. In, well, now it's been for many, many years that it's just full. But um, that was the first step. And then eventually um, I started having requests from overseas. And yeah, I, Again, it's it's, sound. An, it's an incredible it's incredible. You've become, in my impression, mm. extremely in demand, right? Relatively quickly, like within yes. a decade. Um, yes, it's hard to pin you down now. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's um. It seems always like when you look back, it seems like one thing. It's so logical. Of course, when you're in the middle of it, it's not logical at all. You have no idea, and this is still the case. I mean, now I I, I for the, for a few years I've had about two three years of. Uh, forward planning which is plenty I don't really need more <laughs> but still I mean it's um, it's different to working in a company where you have always 
uh, a season and you I mean especially in Europe it's very clear like this, the season runs and then you have the summer break and then the season runs again and you have the summer break it's like a clockwork but being a freelance artist is not clockwork at all every year is different and it's exciting too because it brings me to a lot of different contexts and that definitely enriches my work so when you when you first were making work for the ballet I'm mm. imagining that it might have been influenced somewhat by mm the technical training mm-hmm. and roles that you had played. Mm-hmm. Did you did you have a moment when you thought, ah, this is my voice, or mm. your interests um, went off in mm. a slightly different direction, perhaps? Uh, this is a really interesting question, I think, because on the one hand, I think that I had a very strong voice that was just waiting to come out, and uh, it hasn't changed. I can look back at early works, and it's so totally recognizable that it's me on the other hand i don't believe in like uh, in in things things don't just appear from nowhere i mean we inherit everything we do is just a mix of causes and conditions that make make us who we are we uh, the stories we tell or the stories we carry and uh, the movements we carry as dancers and choreographers it's all like a wealth of things that essentially is our life, and uh, so it's not me. I don't know. I can I can say it's me. You know, it's just like a lot a lot of different things coming together in in this particular being that I am. But it's not necessarily me. It's a. Um, I mean, we're turning into philosophy now, but but that's okay. Yeah, because because then then the question is, how do you describe your dance language mm-hmm. or your dance aesthetic? Well, for sure, I, I mean, the earlier works were more neoclassical. Although, from my perspective, it was definitely like a wish to do contemporary work. So I was pushing the envelope to do contemporary work, but my background was classical. So, uh, you know, the, it definitely. It's developed now in terms of uh, style. Uh, I mean, if, if you compare the earlier works, it, it's much more sophisticated now, I would say, in terms of movement vocabulary and composition and all, all sorts of things, of course, because you learn by doing. And But um, I don't know, but I think my mother is right, and this uh, other people have said this too, I think you you create the same artwork all over again it's the same artwork from with diff it's like turning turning a crystal or something the same artwork from previous generations well, or the same artwork from in, within yourself from within yourself mm-hmm. yeah it's the same artwork but different aspects and different point of views and then and then sometimes you you find something else in there but essentially it's like the the themes keep repeating themselves and the tone and the, um, the, the basic content is essentially the same, I mm. think. Mm. It's funny, this, this sort of line between neoclassical and contemporary, mm-hmm. because I think in 2015, those lines are quite blurred. Yes. This incredible return to mm-hmm. point shoes yes. and, and classical lines from yes. artists who we would have classified as being quite contemporary for many, yes. many years. Yes, definitely. And, uh, I mean that that is definitely true for me. I I I did the full circle last year when I created a full length classical ballet production. So, and I I mean I think it's right. I think that um, 
I mean, across all art forms, crossover is normal. I mean, it has been normal for a while now. So it's it's only natural that it's like that in dance too and accepted. Let's talk about that crossover. I mm-hmm. want to get back to the full-length mm-hmm. classical ballet, but mm-hmm. I mean, uh, one of the ways that many of us in the presenting world came mm-hmm. to know of you was mm-hmm. through your films, right. which were spectacular, very different as dance mm-hmm. films and garnered you a lot of praise and mm-hmm. awards, etc. Yeah. So tell us about getting involved in film for dance. Well, it's really, I would say, my, my, my passion is film. Now, film is very still, still, it's changed actually since I started. All of a sudden, there are... Uh, consumer products that have a quality that you could only, I mean, dream of 10 years ago. But still, film is quite expensive because it's a very uh, precise medium that requires a lot of things coming together, at least if you work like I do. It's a a lot of planning, a lot of, it's all very, very precise and thought through and it just call, it takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. Is that what you mean when you say work like I do, like that you're very detailed oriented, yes. that you're a big organizer? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's I, it's not like sketches where I play with the camera. Rather, it's it's a. I mean, everything like from the cherries that are left on a table, it's all planned. So, um, but film is is very much a passion for me, and I think that above all, it's. Um, as a choreographer and director, you have more control of over exactly what it is you want to portray and what you want to say. With a camera, you can direct the audience's eye to exactly what it is that you think is the most important thing and very subtle things. I think uh, when you present works on stage, you leave it to the individual audience member to see what they see. It's a kind of out of your control. So... You you uh, present something, but you cannot really direct uh, the eye of of everyone. It's it's an individual experience. Whereas with film, you can actually do it. I can edit and I can cut out things and I can focus the camera and I can. It, it's more precise in that way. You're really influencing. Mm-hmm the audience experience before the experience even happens. It's very manipulative, actually. But in a po- very positive way. Yes, yes. So um, um, also, I, when I was a teenager especially, but for years I, I've been an amateur photographer, and so creating images, imagery and images and creating movement and stories, they all come together in film. It's like uh, storytelling through images and then there's the movement, and then there's the story, and I mean, everything comes together. So it's very rich like that, which is very exciting. And were you able to approach, um, you were commissioned to do mm. a new Raimonda, one of mm. the, I guess, you know, one of the stalwart ballets right. of the repertoire, not necessarily the white ballet, but mm-hmm. one of the ballets that had been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Were you allowed to assert your creative approach and your filmic approach to Mm -hmm. restaging something as classical and traditional as Mm -hmm. Raimonda? Well, so so Raimonda was a unique project for me because, yes, I I was given carte blanche to do what I wanted, but the request was to do a classical ballet. So um, not not a contemporary version or, you know, something subversive or something that Set in modern times no, or no, something. No. Yes. Was this the first time you'd had that kind of request? Yes. Right. So I had done full-length productions before, and I have I've made a Giselle for the Geneva Ballet, which was my own, so to speak. It was set in a very much like my films in a contemporary, but uh, not 
pinpointed kind of alternate reality. Um, but the Raimonda is a classical by-production, and I found actually already from the beginning some very interesting point of departures. Raimonda premiered in St. Petersburg in 1898, and the Opera House in Stockholm opened in 1898. Hmm, fantastic. And uh, yes, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful coincidence because I think that a lot of what the general audience perceives of as classical ballet, the tutus, the point shoes, pictures from Degas and Toulouse-Lautrec, they're from that era. It's like it still lives today. So the logical thing to do f- was to create a ballet about that time. So the whole thing is set in 1898 in the Opera House in Stockholm. And uh, uh, I kind of rewrote a, a libretto that takes place behind the stage. So it's set in the, co- in the ballet company, basically. Um, I worked with a set and costume designer called Patrick Kinmouth, and together we created this aesthetic universe that is, it's a fantasy. I mean, it's not correct, because that was another thing I, I did not want to do. I didn't want to put it in a box with a glass where you're looking at something that is a recreation and we are standing here now and the dancers are representing something 1898. I want to kind of remove that. So actually the aesthetic universe is a mix of many things. We found photographs from uh, Nureyev and Fontaine from the 50s and like being in the rehearsal studio at the Paris Opera and it made a lot of sense because it was very alive and um, so the we, we expanded the, the horizon so to speak. So it's a kind of a fantastical 1898. Yeah. And it was well received, I understand. Yes, yeah, it went really well. They're taking it back now in September. So it, yeah, it was it was wonderful. Fantastic. Mm. What's it like going into? I mean, you've gone into a number of different mm-hmm. ballet companies, Geneva, Stockholm. Mm-hmm. What's it like going in and those first mm-hmm. days of you're sort of a stranger to them, maybe yes. not so much to Stockholm, right. but but mm-hmm. that that process of making the piece your own mm-hmm. and making the company understand that you're the person to immerse themselves with over the creation process. It's always very different. Um, right now, I'm I'm kind of I I'm creating a new work for the Ballet de Monte Carlo in Monaco, and I have I'm kind of midway. I went there in January for three weeks, and uh, it's interesting because every company is is different. They have the dancers are different, obviously, and there is usually also like a contextual dif- difference, like what kind of repertoire they are doing, what they, what where they are in their season, and um, and sometimes the encounters are immediately fruitful. You just find dancers that are so attuned to some something that uh, that I am want that I want to explore or something that I'm interested in and sometimes it takes a while um i would say that for me as a choreographer it's incredibly enriching because i get to work with dancers that contribute a lot of new information for me so i i definitely um it's it's important actually i get to meet dancers that uh surprise me and mm-hmm. give you know give suggestions or give qualities or interpretation that I that I didn't expect and that enriches me and so the working process well 
this is actually an interesting difference from when I from from when I was a younger choreographer and did my early works. At that point, strangely enough, I I had it all figured out. <laughs> like I kn- you knew exactly as young as young yes, people do. Right? Yes, <laughs> I knew exactly what I wanted and how I wanted it, and you know I just created the thing and I taught it and I it was like so clear but the more you create for me at least the less sure I am and you realize there are lots of different point of views and different ways of seeing it and different ways of perceiving it and and so now I give I find people to whom I can give a lot of responsibility to contribute because it's more interesting for me as well and I'm less interested in setting actually and I'm more interested in the conversation so yeah I I think that the the more I travel and create for other dancers that's kind of what I'm looking for I'm looking for good collaborators because it's enriching for me and then then I can I can put that back into the work well, you're working with some spectacular companies, many yes. of whom we've had the great fortune of inviting mm-hmm. to the National Arts Center with some of their earlier reps. So right. maybe we'll uh, figure out a way for yes. them to <laughs> them to show some of your some of your latest works. Yes, I wanted to switch for a minute and mm-hmm. ask about your uh, link, if you will, mm-hmm. to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been talking a lot about your mm-hmm. work in Europe, but you have a base in New York, yes. a very special link to the states. Yes, maybe you can tell us about that. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's life brought me there, I suppose, personally and professionally. And so, I come from Stockholm, and uh, Stockholm is a capital city, but it's a it's pretty far north from the rest of Europe. And Sweden is a small country, and uh, I've I felt definitely as an artist that um, I missed because I had been abroad, and uh, I'm I missed being connected to other artists that were not the same. And uh, I had ideas of, I I lived in Paris as a young dancer for a year, and I I had ideas of wanting to be there again or or going somewhere that was enriching artistically. And it just happened that New York, you know, one series of events led, led to me, like all of a sudden, being there. And establishing a, a, a home base in New York, so you received a choreo- choreography fellowship from New York City Center uh-huh. in 2012. Uh-huh. Artist in residence at the Headland Center for the Arts, Choice mm-hmm. Soho, Brishtkov mm-hmm. Art Center. Mm-hmm. Your work with Morphosis. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are very major right. connections to major presenters yes. and major companies. Yes. Well, yeah, I I, I actually had my. My original idea was to to spend some time in San Francisco because I have, I had and still have friends, close friends there, and I very much like the Bay Area. Now, that's a little bit of a contradiction because, as much as San Francisco is wonderful, it's also far away from from a lot of. It's far away from the East Coast of America. It's far away from Europe. It's far away from everything, but it's lovely. But that's not where the where the artistic opportunities came. They came. They opened up in New York. Mm-hmm. So it's just it was logical to to be there, and uh, I'm New York is a fascinating place. It's a place where a lot of things pass through, and also a lot of people choose to be there. So it's a and it's a true I would say true melting pot, in that it's a very 
allowing city where there's room for everything and a lot of very opposite things are thriving and then I, I of of course in the arts there's always competition for funding and space and all of that but at the same time there's there's room for everyone there in a way that is less so in smaller cities it's incredible i mm-hmm. agree with you it's it's really uh like atoms and molecules that mm-hmm. are bouncing off each other all the yes, time. It, yes. it doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. And when you worked, for example, with Morphosis, mm-hmm. you got to work with Wendy Whelan, mm-hmm. you got to work with the composer David Lang. Yes. Uh, tell me about that relationship with that company, because that's a company mm-hmm. we've brought here. Right. We certainly uh, have supported Christopher Wilden's work in uh-huh. the early days of Morphosis. And well, Chris was the one who invited me f- first to create for Morphosis when it was still Morphosis, the Wilden company. So I went to Vail. Colorado and I had a residency there with the company and created for them, and um, and that's how I I met that's how I met Wendy for example she was there. Uh, David Lang on the other hand I contacted myself um, because I I heard his music on the radio I couldn't find the CD this was when CDs were still around. Uh, and Aren't they still around now? Come on, <laughs> less. So. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I just I wrote to different um, music publishers and agents, and eventually I got in contact with him and met him in New York. So, uh, but yeah, Chris invited me there, and then um, he left the company, and uh, Lourdes Lopez continued the company, and she, well, first she invited me to create uh, again for the company. Uh, we did a presentation at the Guggenheim Museum. And then she started this uh, um, model, one could say, where she had one year, one artistic director. So I was the second one of of that, and I, so I had the company for a year, and that's when I created an evening for them, and we toured with that evening. Then what happened is that she got the artistic directorship at Miami City Bali. So Morphosis kind of moved there and it's still in the process of merging with the company and becoming a contemporary branch of Miami City Bali. But that remains to be seen exactly. But it's an interesting yeah. model, you mm-hmm. know, because really there's a lot of choreographers looking for a yes. pool of dancers. Yes. But in the mm-hmm. midst of all this, you mm-hmm. also started your own company. Yes. Well, you know, my, my own company is, is it has existed in, in uh, kind of various forms i would say since since 2003 it's just that sometimes it's 10 dancers and sometimes it's only me so <laughs> right <laughs> so uh, it's been it's been around um and here's where my career is uh, kind of has two branches because on the one hand i go around and i create for other companies but then i also keep returning to my own dancers so to speak and my own projects that I initiate and that I want to uh, that I want to somehow create and uh, produce so I have both aspects it's like I have uh, my my own group of people that I keep returning to and of course some of them change and some of them keep returning and then it's the other where I go out into the world and I just like on invitation I create and I every year is different so We have the good mm-hmm. fortune um, at the NEC this season to feature your company in mm-hmm. these two works, right. Snow and Written on Water. Mm-hmm. 
by the time people are listening to this, the show yes. will have been presented. Uh-huh. But perhaps you can tell us a little bit about Snow and how that came mm-hmm. about and also the newer work. Yes. So Snow was a was a commission by the Opera House of Northern Sweden. Um, they have a resident orchestra. It was two, 2013 and uh, the orchestra really wanted to play Rite of Spring because it was the centennial. And I think that the rights to present Rite of Spring are a little different in America and Europe. Usually, you know, music rights are complicated. But basically, the size of the orchestra corresponded to a setting of Rite of Spring that in Europe can only be performed with dance. You can't perform it as a concert only. So they, if, if they were going to play Rite of Spring, they needed also a dance production with it. So the artistic director there asked me if, if I and my company could, in residence, come and create a, a work to Rite of Spring. And I said, yes, but I, I will not create a Rite of Spring because, well, honestly, 2013, there, who needs another Rite of Spring? There will be plenty. Um, so, uh, so she said, well, of course, you know, you can do what you want. So... I created Snow, and uh, the way I approached it was that I discarded the libretto, and I also especially discarded the original or the common connotations of Rite of Spring, the rite or the sacrifice or battle of the sexes or um, all sorts of connotations that are often come, and they kind of come come with the whole idea of Rite of Spring. But I listened very closely to the music, and I just kind of let the music speak to me. So I created a work that I called Snow to the Rite of Spring. And uh, it has very little to do with, with any context that is normally associated with the music. But it's, nevertheless, it was a very musically driven work. Mm-hmm. Now, after 2013, and we performed with the orchestra there, which is, of course, very special. Performing with a big orchestra is very unique also, for, for touring companies especially. Um, I thought that, you know, now the centennial is over. <laughs> so I think that this work needs a new score because because I want to strengthen what I brought to it. And I definitely f- would find it a little weird to perform to taped Rite of Spring. So I was talking to Ryan Francis, a young composer with whom I've worked before, and uh, who by coincidence, had one of his projects once upon a time was a reorchestration of Rite of Spring. But um, when he was still at Juilliard, I think. But uh, we came to the conclusion that he should write a new electronic score for the work, which he has done. So the work is the same. It's, this, it's uh, I mean, small re- revisions that one would know, unless you were me. Okay. But it's essentially the same, but the score is new. Uh, but it's an electronic treatment of... No, the right of spring or well, completely it, complete departure from that. N- well, both <laughs> because um, in order to fit the choreography, the rhythms, the the tempo, and also uh, some qualities of right needed to be there, and they are. So it's possible to perform the same choreography and it still works. However, I would say the color is different and. The sound is different. The melodies. I mean, there's there's so much that is now new that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know. Like even if you listen for it. I mean, if you're very if you're very familiar with right, I think you can understand. But 
it's 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 definitely new and uh, also it this is the other thing I'm, the centennial so right is 100 well it's 102 years old now and this is you know not even one year old it has it's a contemporary score and i think that that was important because i wanted to okay we i wanted to bring something of now also mm-hmm. to the work and uh yeah, I think it's. I working. love the story that it started mm. with that inspiration, and right. that it has its own its own life. Mm-hmm. What about written on water? So, snow is a very conceptual work. In in, I mean, there was a lot of research made before I even started, and I was listening to the music. Written on water has a different path. Where I was asked to do a a, a new work for Fall for Dance last year, at in New York, and I did a parada for uh, Isabella Boylston uh, of American Ballet Theater. And I've expanded that into a sh- kind of a short chamber work, and it was just a a thing where I where I felt this needs another character, it needs a third person, and uh, so I've, it's not, it's now a trio. Well, it's essentially two paradas and a trio, uh, three characters that are kind of woven in through the throughout this work, um, but it's not conceptual so much. I see my work with partnering especially as a little bit like writing dialogue but with movement it's like creating creating movement dialogue and that is the essence of this work it's a it's a movement dialogue i would say now i do have a back thought with all of this because i'm in development of a new film i have been for quite a while and uh, i can't really say so much about it but this written on water piece is central to the new film that I'm developing. Okay, well, yes. we'll stay tuned for more details yes. on that. Yes. Can you tell me quickly what else is coming up for you? A new film you mentioned? Mm-hmm. And yes. So that's, tour of this piece, these yes. pieces? Uh-huh. And then I have a new work for the Padre de Monte Carlo in Monaco opening in July. Um, Raimonda comes back in September. Um, I'm working with the Ballet Boys in London as well. Uh, and Wonderful. Yes, so... So tell me, Pontus, just mm-hmm. as a final question, mm-hmm. when you, you you see this big field and mm-hmm. you're a part of it and mm-hmm. you're a young man, I'm mm-hmm. hopefully that you'll be around for decades to come, right. who do you look up to? Who's who's the choreographer that for you, you say, I'll never miss a work of that person right. or I really feel that there's an influence there or an inspiration uh-huh. there? It's a it's a really good question. I I find it difficult to to answer. I I look up to a lot of people, I have to say, of course. But I, I kind of think that there is not a singular person whom I followed. Rather, I was, and I mean, especially when I was younger, I was kind of the opposite. I was determined not to follow and to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And again, with with all respect, because I also realized that I'm carrying all these. I mean, I'm carrying all the choreographies that I ever danced in my body. So. So I wouldn't be who I am without that. But still, I I I I was somehow determined to 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 go go my own way, so to speak. So there's a lot of choreographers that I admire for who they are and what they bring and and their work and their aesthetics or their movements. And I mean, there there there's so many to mention, but it would be unfair to mention one because because I I. I wouldn't say that I do follow anyone I, I in particular. Com- I completely hear that mm. and respect that, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just so thrilled that we get to see Pontus Lidberg at 
relatively the beginning of your yes. career, and I hope that this is the first of many, many visits to the National Arts Centre in As Canada. As do I, and, and I, and, well, we are incredibly thrilled to be here. So, uh, yes, we were all smiling walking around Ottawa yesterday. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. great. And you yeah. got to be here when the snow was finally melted. So <laughs> right. that's great. Well, welcome, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll, we'll talk again very soon, I'm sure. Great. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes this NEC Dance podcast. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at necpodcasts.ca. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.